0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. I'm Rebecca Caro, and as ever,
1: I am joined by my co-host, Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello, Faster Masters. Nice to see everybody, virtually. Virtually.
0: Um, it is. And so I just thought I'd
1: kick off by
0: having a little bit of a context and background so faster masters rowing radio is where having a rowing coach only makes you better following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident scholar who's respected by your peers you can become the athlete you want to row with now marlene
1: what's been happening
0: in your little rowing life this week
1: oh well this was a Kind of a big week in the little rowing life. Um, we had last week we had the US Rowing Conference, and um I did the presentation Training for Life, which was the master's topic on the training day. And um, the training day was really, really interesting. We had uh Stephen Sealer, who is a very well-known exercise physiologist speaking about endurance training. He was the keynote speaker, and um, I followed his talked with training for life and we talked about um, things that we need to consider as masters to uh, train the best we can and to maintain the best level of performance that we can throughout our lifespan so we reviewed some effects of aging um, topics to keep us consistent Uh, we talked about uh, what some of the top masters are doing competitively as far as their training schedules. So it was, it was a really interesting, interesting um, talk. And then we had, you know, Dr. Stuart McGill, who's very famous in um, back researching and his wife is also a former Canadian national team rower. So he knows rowing very well and he did a great presentation and, um, the bi- biomechanics day was very interesting with Valery Kleshnov and Volker Nolte among a couple of other speakers uh, and Mike Perser from Canada oh. as well as as Volker. Um, so I totally absorbed myself in those two days and uh, got out to cross country ski one day on like a teeny bit of snow, not very much. And um, you know, now just got ready for our podcast. So
0: there we go that's that's us and have a look at the photo that i've chosen for this week's illustration uh it's the most marvelous christmas tree on an outdoor picnic table with the lights of the city in the background and some crossed oars isn't that nice that's wonderful yeah really, really seasonal and thank you to whoever uploaded that i think that's absolutely gorgeous Now, our sponsors, as ever, we're extremely grateful for the people who make the show possible. And first up, we are continuing to build the Rowing Retailer Directory on Rowing Chat. So this is one place, like the Yellow Pages, where you can get lists of every single rowing company, We think we are very nearly at the end of getting everyone listed. So thank you for checking that your favorite suppliers are definitely listed and keep the suggestions coming in. If you are a rowing business, you can list yourself on the page. It's rowing.chat forward slash retailer. And it's in the main menu under the word directory. And you'll be able to upload all the information about your rowing business there. And there are lots of categories so that you're listed in the correct category, whether it's gifts or herbs or oars or coaching um, or accessories or software and so on. Secondly, my Rowing Tales book is now published for 2020. And I'd like to ask you to indulge me while I read out one of the stories, which is the opener in the book. And I always like to open the book each year with a really nice, usually light-hearted um, anecdote. And this year, this story came from a gent called Roger Mill. Now, Roger is a FISA umpire, and he was at the Rio Olympic regatta when this incident happened to him. The story is called What Robert Trahan Jones Says. Robert Tran Jones was the on-course commentator at Rio. And when we saw him at the course, I gave him a piece of paper with the word Wonga Mamona on it. And I said, Robert, can you say this? He looked at it. And being quite good with phonetics, he said, Wonga Mamona," And I said, yes, you've got it, Robert. That's good. Now, we all know that the Olympics is a huge event. People have come from the four corners of the earth to be at this regatta. And we told Robert... The people had even come from the place that is home to New Zealand's most remote hotel, Wonga Momona. and the girl who lives there is in the bow of the New Zealand Women's Eight. And to the astonishment of Kayla Pratt's parents who were sitting next to my wife, Leslie, in the grandstand, Robert said exactly that, live over the commentary on the course. People have come from the four corners of the earth, including from Wanga and the Prats looked at Leslie and said, ah, Bloody Roger. <laughs> so there is more like that in the Rowing Tales 2020 book. You'll find it on the Row Perfect UK store and also in Amazon. It's in Kindle and print format. And if you would like a copy of all four Rowing Tales, so 2017, 18, 19, and this year's, Get in touch with me direct, Rebecca at Caro and I'll sell you the whole lot for thirty five pounds plus postage. The normal full price is seventy five pounds. So sorry, seventy pounds. Get that right. Anyway, looking forward very much to getting some great sales going and also to hearing your feedback. Now, Marlene, you've you've got some news as well, haven't you?
1: Yes. Another event this week, right? (laughs) I have a new website. Um, It's still royalrow.com, but it has a refreshed look that just posted this week um, in line with the um, U.S. Rowing Conference. I wanted to have it up in time for that. And uh, it is the site that it kind of outlines... Uh, the work that for the individual athletes who train with me on a, on a personal one-to-one basis, um, this describes those programs and um, it includes, there's some of the pictures of some of the athletes that I coach, like the gentleman at the top of the page. And then one of the, um, this is Chuck Cook and he's a two-time head of the Charles winner in this senior veteran single. And, um, One of the things we wrote on the homepage, which I think is a really important topic when you work with a coach, is that there's a difference between training and exercising and experience what a personalized training plan can do for you. And talking about this topic is something that we wanted to talk about on the podcast today.
0: And so we will slightly later on. So... That's good news for everybody who'd like to know a little bit more about Marlene's work outside of Faster Masters. Um, so that's royalrow.com. And I'll put the link in the show notes.
1: Oh, and one thing I might mention, at the down in the footer, there's a link that says newsletter. And um, this is my Royal Row newsletter that goes out. and We usually send out our Faster Masters podcasts in this Newsletter as well, but if you click on that, there's the entire archive. So if there's a, a webinar that I've done, that there's a link to, um, as well as some of our Faster Masters issues, um, you can or articles that are interesting that I just like to pass on as training tips, um, you can look at those things in the archive.
0: Well, that's really good to know. So big topic of the day what's the difference between exercising and training now it sounds like this just could be semantics we're just playing with different words that mean the same thing but loyal listeners will remember that Marlene and I have spent a long time talking about the difference between a rower and an oarsman and we even have a blog post entitled that so if you're (laughs) interested in knowing what the difference is. Please go and read that. But I feel, Marlene, that exercising versus training fits into the same sort of category. It's about your philosophy.
1: Well, yes and no. Um, You could put exercise within training, but you don't put training inside exercise. And and what what I mean by that is I think when you embark on training, that to me, the difference is that exercising you can do every day. You can do workout of the day, okay? You get workout of the day, you hit your app, boom, there it is. You listen to this podcast, you erg with this guy, you erg with that guy, uh, this one on Zoom, that one on YouTube. That's exercising. You're doing a workout, you're working hard, but what you did today doesn't have anything to do with what you're going to do tomorrow or what you did 2 days ago or what you did last week. So, exercising, yes, you're engaging in activity, maybe you're working hard, maybe you do a trial here and there, but there is no real um structure to it like there is with training. Now, for me, when you when you move into training, the training realm, you have some type of a goal. Now that goal can be very very broad in spectrum. It can be I want to uh, win the Olympic trials and row the single for my country. It can be I would like to row my first race this year in a single. It could be um, I would like to get to a level that I can row around the island or your home course trial. There there has to, there's some goal or direction involved with training. And when you are training, there's a system. And within a week cycle or within a two week cycle, depending on how you organize your sessions, each session contributes to the overall effect of a certain period of time of a week or a month or a quarter of a year of training. So there's a system to it and one day relates to the next day whereas um when you're exercising in my opinion you're you're doing workouts but there's no real there's no real thought process to what you're doing when you're doing it.
0: I think that's a very interesting differentiation and it's definitely something that weighs heavy on my mind because I see a lot of masters who go rowing and they may also have a goal, but they don't structure what they do. They get to the boathouse and go, hey, Marlene, what should we do today? And it's random. Yes, yes. So the Faster Five is one of the things that Marlene and I sell as a training product And it's the five principles that sit around the entirety of our work here at Faster Masters. So basically, we have a module about technique, blade work, racing, stroke power, and fitness assessment. But I think we can honestly say here that training is like the overarching umbrella that sits over the Faster
1: Five. Sure, because those are all... Those are all components. Like if you're if you're addressing your stroke power, that's something that's built into your program as a component of the program. If you are um, focusing on how you're going to train, you have to assess what you're good at right now and what you need to get better at. So you have to you have to um, put yourself through some trials every once in a while to get a baseline. So that you have some way to compare, are you getting better? You know, that's one method. One, one method. There's many things you can do to compare whether you're getting better. But um, but you know, you create baselines so that you are interested. You have to have some way to measure pro- progress. Now, mm-hmm. you you may not be a competitive athlete, but you still have a goal, right? You still have a goal. Like we said, that I want to do the lap the lake where you row or i want to do that in under a certain time you know you you have to have some way that you want to see improvement but um but kind of thinking thinking out your program ahead of time and actually at faster masters uh and and as coaches we do the thinking for you i mean that's what that's what you're asking us to do this is we do we spend the time thinking out what goes where and what matches what and which workouts complement each other because you can't just put back-to-back-to-back to back to back hard days and then um, ease off for three days and row hard for three days. I mean, that's not going to be a very effective way to train. You're going to, you know, poop yourself out and then have too long of a rest. And it's just not – It's from a physiological point, it's just not going to work. Um, so that that's a, obviously, as coaches, that's one of our jobs is to employ our system, um, our structure, whereas sometimes people will say, well, you know, that workout really didn't, that really wasn't very hard today. Mm. I say, yes, but why don't you see how you feel after five or six days in a row and how these work together? There's a cumulative effect. And then we hopefully it's the right balance that it's challenging but doable that's what we want we want challenging but doable that's the most interesting and then you have a little bit of a recovery period and then when you come back fresh the next week you can you know do it again
0: and of course we do run two parallel programs the 1k and the 5k so people who are training for a long distance event versus people who are training for a sprint or short distance event and you pick the one that suits yourself so these are the ways that you can make faster masters fit exactly what you're planning on doing for your personal season so I, my first regatta is going to be uh, late January and it's actually a 1400 meter regatta which is Unusual, but it's the mm-hmm. length of the lake, so um, we're already picking out crews for that, and uh, maybe we'll be meeting some of the faster masters at the Blue Lakes Regatta in Rotorua.
1: Yeah, maybe. Well, we certainly do. Australians come over. We have quite a few Australians. Nobody
0: travels at the moment, you know oh, that. I, know. I, I forgot.
1: Know. But but this winter, actually, on our on our program, we have the one k base program right now. But the other program is. Focused on that kind of a spring, spring peak. So some people in North America want to do two K erg events. So it addresses that as well as the people who will have races in early, early March too. So you might want to switch to the two K program for a little while if you're going to have a race at the end of January. You don't
0: mean the two K program. We haven't got a two K. It's the five K.
1: Well, it's two to five K for a spring yeah. peak.
0: That's it. Yeah, Spring Peak. Excellent. Let's clarify because it's not called that, right? Good. Well, maybe I should. I will. I will review and discuss with. Yes. If you
1: if you need a little bit of higher interval work, then you you'll get in a base period. Then you probably want to think about that.
0: Yeah, we have only six weeks before that, so and Christmas in the middle. So we're
1: all going to get fat and unfit. Not.
0: Now, we also had a question in from someone about how do I stay balanced as a single scholar? And, of course, a wonderful open question like this just made Marlene and me laugh out loud. <laughs> and I think you can probably guess that Marlene's first question was, what do you mean, in your
1: head? <laughs> no, I mean, if you can mean physically or, you know, we single scholars, like we might need some balancing up here, too, sometimes.
0: Always. <laughs> so. Everyone always says single scholars are a, a little bit on the nutty spectrum compared with crew rowers. And and yeah, absolutely. So which one should we talk about
1: first in the boat or in your head? Oh, let's talk about in the boat first. Kickoff. Well, staying balanced. I kind of think of, I use two words. Um, I I think of balance and I think of stability and in when I think of balance, I think about the narrow um, width of the hull, that you're in this very narrow thing. It's kind of like on a balance beam, you know, here, that this, this is your point where you're, you're thinking about um, some of your, your balance and where your center of gravity is. And then I think of stability, which is, which is a wider platform where I'm thinking, I want to keep my rigors level. So I'm thinking more kind of riggers orlock to orlock because if you're rowing a boat with a wing rigger, you know you you can if you put a level on it, you can see you know is the bubble in the middle or not, right? Our, my mother used to say, you know, is the floor clean or is the floor clean, right? You're either stable or you're not stable. You're balanced or you're not balanced. Some people have a hard time, um, kind of relating to the idea of balance, and some people relate to the idea of stability better, and some people the the other way around. But um, what's essential to both of them, whichever way you think about it, is you have to know where your body weight is. and you have to know um, if you're centered, are you leaning to one side? Is one elbow dro- dropping? If your one elbow drops down, you know you're gonna fall down to one side because your weight comes away from the opposite side. you know So where are your elbows? Um, how are you sitting, you know, just, just sort of do a body scan at first, like first, how are you sitting on the seat? Do you feel like you're sitting equally on the seat? You know, feel your foot stretchers. Do you feel like you maintain equal pressure on your foot stretchers? Because if you're pushing unevenly, that can affect things. Are you aware of your oar locks? Do you have equal contact of your oars into your oarlocks, are they the same? If they're not the same, you're going to be tipped down to one side versus tipping to the other side. Is your head straight? Okay, mm. is your body leaning? Are you? Is your? Does one shoulder come up higher than the other because you rode sweep for twenty five years and now you've decided to scull and you're crooked? Um, so, so just first, just try to get a sense of where your body weight is and and feeling level in the boat. And then I like to have people sit at the release position, with their blades squared. And we've talked we've talked about this before. Uh, I think we actually talked about it in our last podcast when we were talking about tapping down and feathering out. You know, making sure that you've got weight over your hands, and that. And then first, just start making a little half release. Don't even take the blade all the way out of the water. But try to feel that you can do that maintaining level rigors. If you've got level rigors, you've got a balanced hull. So, um, you know, that's the first place to start is practicing at the release. And then if you're comfortable enough, go up to the top of the slide and place the blades in the water, and then practice a little bit of tapping drill up at the top of the slide. If you're not comfortable all the way at the top of the side that lets us know, Oh, well, you know what, where's your weight? Your weight is somewhere that is making you feel unstable. So can you bring your weight back against the orlocks again? Can you sit centered on the seat again? And if you need to go back to three quarter side, then go to three quarter side and practice that little, like, I love tapping drills, you know, just tapping, 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 keeping the boat level or starting at the release and tapping all the way up the recovery And then all the way back, you know, up and down the slide, just tapping, 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 placing the blade, but focusing on on staying level.
0: And one of the things that I think is frightening when you're first learning in a single, but you gain confidence with, is understanding that stability is entirely within your control. The only bit of stability that really, really is out of your control is if there's a really strong gust of wind. Let me explain. When I one of the reasons I particularly like this Blue Lakes regatta is it's nearly always windy. And that's a really awesome challenge for a single sculls race. So I generally choose to race my single because I like these challenges. The control of the balance, the set of the boat is entirely within you, in your hands, the downward pressure you keep on the handles while the oars are out of the water and in the set of your body. The places where you are not making good connections. So if you're soft in your core and you're not making a good connection between your feet and your hands because you've got um, little core strength or you're sitting saggy, that will be shown up in a lack of stability. So. If you can learn how to stabilize yourself and then to do your blade work, which again is one of the faster five, blade work drills are super important, you will find that even in poor weather conditions and maybe choppy water conditions, you can actually sit your boat level and feel that you are stable in yourself. And with the boat, like the boat almost feels like an extension of your body, like your hands go out and the oars just kind of flow out from your hands. One of the things that I have succeeded in doing is particularly when you have a side wind, maybe a side headwind or a side tailwind, and it's tipping you over to one side, you can change the height differential in your handle. So you can scull, instead of having your hands nested like this, tight one behind the other at the recovery, you can actually scull with one slightly above or the other way around. You can scull with them level, just let one be in front of the other so that you can counteract the wind. Now, you need to be quite skillful to do this because the wind is rarely constant. So it it comes and goes, it gusts somewhat. Um, But that is definitely a technique that you can use should you have the skill and you need to find balance and stability? Remember, every time you get into the boat, make sure you get in correctly. Make sure you're holding both oars when you're on the dock or are wading out in the bank. Lift up on the handles. That downward pressure on the oar tips creates stability. And then your boat doesn't rock around when you transfer your weight and you step into it. And you need to understand these blade work skills in order to obviously practice them but then obviously have the skill to execute and create balance and stability for yourself while you're doing your rowing practice
1: absolutely absolutely and I love this tip um when you when uh, with the crossover of your hands, what what Rebecca is talking about, one of the reasons that we talk about hand placement at the crossover, that the left hand is in front of your right hand, or your left hand is to the stern of your right hand, and one follows the other, is exactly so that you can make these types of um, adjustments in rough water. Now, the, the Olympic scholar Thomas Langa, who was from East Germany and then and then Germany, I think, in his last Olympics was um, against Zeno Mueller in Atlanta. He, he you can see videos of him sometimes rowing in rough water, and he'll completely separate his hands, one following the other. Or like Rebecca says, he'll adjust his hands, but because one isn't locked on top of the other one, he had this ability to be able to move his hands and have the freedom to adjust in rough water. And that's a, that's a really, really important point not to, to do what we call stacking. And stacking is being one hand on top of the other like that versus one hand following the other and you can adjust that separation. So you've got a lot of freedom to absorb the water and make adjustments without your hands getting tangled up with each other.
0: That is a great description. In fact, there was another sculling race that it brought to mind for me. I remember seeing Olaf Tufter when he was quite a young athlete. He traveled to Indianapolis, and I think they did a round of the World Cup on Carnegie Lake. Does that sound possible? Um, where's Carnegie Lake?
1: Carnegie Lake's in Princeton. It's Maybe it was in
0: Lake. Princeton. I think it was Princeton. They did a round of the, the FISA World Cup there, and it was a hideously windy day it was a sort of diagonal crosswind and i remember that classic shot you know of the the tv camera looking straight down the course and you can see like all the lane buoys have have shifted over to one side because yeah. the wind's so strong and he was rowing down his lane with his boat at a diagonal like he was going crab ways and he had clearly figured out the exact direction he needed to point in. To compensate for the wind, which was also pushing him the other way. And it was just, he handled the chop brilliantly. And he said later, you know, he practices in the fjords in Norway, which mm-hmm. sounds romantic, but it's the ocean and yeah. they get water. Yeah, and that shows how he used his stability and his great, great all blade work skills. And I remember watching that and saying to my husband, that guy's gonna win the Olympics.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing because there you're thinking of again what we talked about: even weight on the seat, keep your lower body steady, keep your weight into your orlock steady. But you can make adjustments with your hands without shifting your body weight around in the hull. The key is to keep a quiet body and then make make those adjustments. And this is exactly why we work so much this you need this stability to be able to row with your oars off the water and if you can if you cannot row with your oars off the water tufta or longa would never you know they're able to row in this rough water because they keep their oars above the chop your boat your boat will go right through the chop boats know how to go through waves that's what they do so boats know how to travel through the waves what gets a sculler into trouble or a rower into trouble is the oars hitting the waves and bouncing and, and throwing around. So if you can really learn to exaggerate that height off the water, and and uh, you know we, we use the term um, comfort in the boat, which is one of Troy Howell's terms at Craftsbury. And we do a whole class of comfort in the boat, doing things that at first appear to be silly drills, but they are drills to give you confidence, to learn how to use your weight, to learn. Well, you know, can you and your single take one oar out, put it on the other side and take the other oar out and put it back on the other side without falling out of your boat? Well, those are the kinds of things we practice. Standing up in your boat. They have the gondola, right? You take one oar, you put one oar down, you stand up and you take one oar out of the oar lock and you, you you know, gondola yourself along. But all these types of things, things like just, you know, taking your hands off, hover, just hovering over the handle, then just keeping your weight level on the seat. You know, all these kinds of little exercises make you more comfortable, help you learn where to put your weight, get oriented, because you need to be able to get your oars off the water. And you and you, you know, you can start doing this at one quarter slide. Um, with little drills, you know, tapping drills, like we were talking about, you just keep your blades squared. And maybe you start with seven taps, but then you go to 12 taps up and 12 taps down. The key is, is to stay stable and learn how to put the blades in and out of the water at the same time.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And trust
1: me, this is a lifetime's exercise. I am still working on the East yeah. Oh, no. If I don't practice, if I don't practice, you know, my stationary stability drill, which is release feather, hands away and back down without touching the water and racing single. If, if I don't practice that for a while, I have to go back and practice it and get that back because you'll lose it. You'll lose it if you don't practice it.
0: You certainly will.
1: And by the way, in our Faster Masters technique module, that is one of our reference videos that lives there all the time.
0: Yeah, so you can go pick that up at any time. But you have to be on a subscription program. So either the magazine, individual, crew, or whole club program.
1: But that's a, that's a secret drill.
0: <laughs> and we just talked about it.
1: Right. But, I mean, it, in the sense that it's very effective. If you can do that drill stationary, you can learn how to row with your blades off the water without ever taking a stroke, a full that stroke. Is- You're just... And it really, it works. You get better at that drill, translates right into your rowing immediately.
0: Are we ready to move on to the mental skills of
1: being balanced as a single sculler? <laughs> oh, God, dare we go there. Yes, we are.
0: <laughs> right, lay in. how do you keep mentally and emotionally balanced?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I've been scared lots of times in my boat, that's for sure. You know, like you're out warming up for a race and going like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? As we say, we call it type two fun. You know, you do it. And then when it's over, you go, wow, that was really great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, staying balanced as a scholar. I I think um, obviously being a single scholar, it's a little bit of a different animal, I think. And I do think there's a difference between people who thrive on racing the single versus um, people who simply enjoy training in the single, because it can be different, you know. Um, but um, but I have met people also who absolutely do not like to be in a single. They don't like to row alone. They want to row with other people. But um, I think good balance for a single scholar is from time to time mixing it up and getting in a double with someone that you work on a little bit different skills. You work at a little bit different boat speed because you get used to yourself when you're in the single all the time. And sometimes you have to like, you know, work at a little bit higher pace. Like it's really hard if you've been in a single for a few seasons to hop in an eight, you know, you should do that carefully anyway because that's a transition, but the boat speed is so different that, you know, going from a single to a double regularly or a quad once, twice a week, if you have the opportunity is really fun. Um, but the single takes take you know you're a lonely wolf when you're in, if you're training in your single all the time and you know many internationals and, and I know Rob Waddell used to do this that in in his fall quote what it was his fall season he used to row the eights he used to row in his club eights um, just to have a mental break from that focus of training training in the single all the time but um, I think. Making sure that, that you're clear about what you're working on and what your focus is, and if there are times when you just need to, to change and do something a little bit different, that you, you look for um, other ways to to influence your training or you know whether you have maybe you have a training group in the gym that you go to. So you're not always training by yourself. if you need that balance of having a little bit more company. Um, maybe you can get some people together to train with in the single. Um, if you're not only, we have a lonely wolf in Wyoming writing to us, (laughs) you know, so it, you know, it can, you know, we are very, very lonely, wolfish type people, but. (laughs) I I think there's a, there's a, a,
0: there are two aspects here. One is being in the boat that is the single skull and the other is training on your own. Um, both can be addressed here. It's, not totally unhealthy to do this but it is nice to often be with somebody else even if just to say can you take a look at my catches for me as a woman single scholar and i would class myself as somebody who trains in the single i don't often race in i don't race exclusively in my single i hugely enjoy getting into a double with a man because the speed that they can power through the water is so much greater than my own capacity. It reminds me how to accelerate my power phase and how to develop stroke power because I have to work harder to keep up with them. So for me, that has a fabulous training effect. Apart from the poor guy I'm rowing with probably feels like he has a drag anchor, you know. Someone said that to me once in a broad Scottish accent. I said, would you like to do a mixed double for this race? And he just said... No, it's like rowing with an
1: anchor. <laughs> oh, Did he mean you personally or just a... Any woman. But oh, any woman. Wasn't. Well, obviously he hasn't rowed with you because if you row with somebody who knows what they're doing, it shouldn't be that way.
0: <laughs> Years later, I met Maureen Simpson, who was his coach uh, when she was living in Austin, Texas, and she laughed like a drain. She goes, yeah, that was just like him. <laughs> so funny. So bear in mind changing it up is beneficial. The other thing I wanted to say is that one of some of the funnest outings I've ever done are pack single skulls outings. So arrange to go out all together at the same time to do the same workout on the same, you know, stretch of river. And you can set yourself up to be paced by the other people that you're training with. And it's just it's fun. You learn how to maneuver your boat. Like if you're going a tiny bit faster, you recognize that your increments are maybe five centimeters a stroke and how long it takes to actually row past somebody who's also rowing, you know, at a similar speed to yourself and how and when to maneuver your boat. So in the UK, I rode on the River Thames, which has a very strong current. And you learned to like, get your stern right up so it's almost level with their rigor before you pulled out because the minute you pulled out you went into the stream and the stream will be pushing you backwards and you really had to judge your overtaking skillfully you definitely couldn't overtake someone who was only like five centimeters a stroke slower than you you had to wait and do that on the way home when you were both going with the stream so it was definitely a fun thing to do is to do a pack row
1: Yes. Well, and something we have a, a couple of people in our audience, right, who, who train primarily by by themselves. And um, one of the things, some of the things that I would suggest, I mean, obviously with COVID ha- happening this year, everything is a little bit strange, but let, let's assume we're in a normal rowing life. You know, it's really beneficial to go to camps. I mean, that's why people love to go to camps because they train by themselves. Maybe they are in a place where there are no other rowing clubs within a close distance. Going going to various camps, you get to meet people from all over the place. You get to get instruction. Um, and that's one way to balance that time when you're training alone all the time. You know, obviously, there's remote remote. Video, et cetera, available. But I mean, in terms of contact with other people, camps are one way. The other way, I know a lot of people who train by themselves primarily when they're home. However, they've got friends at clubs that are maybe within a reasonable distance. So, so sometimes they'll plan. Well, you know, I'm going over to to so and so over to the next town to spend the weekend and row with this group for the weekend. And they sort of create their own, own camps. Let's call it that way. But, but they're friends with people at a club or they've got, you know, a, a mm. club that they can go and be a guest scholar at. And yeah. um thinking of CC on Whidbey Island. I don't know how feasible is it, but you know, Port Townsend has a rowing club and a group of people. Um, maybe sometimes there are outings where there are people to row with or in Seattle at a, at a club like Pocock, where there's a pretty big rowing group. Um, you know, and these might be things you do once in a while, if you know people and, and, um, that's something possible Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's when it's racing, when they're regular races, I recommend go to races, you know, go to races and and that's where you're going to meet people. That's where you're going to learn how to pick up with other people to, um, maybe do some composite boats or get into boats. And, um, that's something different. Composite mm-hmm.
0: boats is when you make a boat out of lots of different materials. Composite crews. So this is me being English to Marlene, okay. American, is when you mix it up. I'm just taking the piss. I will say though that one really good thing to do is to do a race and look at who just beat you, or he who you just beat, because actually that person will probably be, or that crew will be super willing to train with you so me and Tonya used to regularly race two girls from Blenheim Rowing Club uh, which is at the top of the South Island in New Zealand and I remember crossing the finish line it was probably at our national championships because we don't often meet because it's quite a long way away from where we live to where they live and um, we said to them Hey, would you guys like to do
1: a quad or a four sometime? And they were like, oh yes, we'd rather be with you than racing you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it is a it is a challenge, you know, when you're oh and when you live in a, a big country, you know, the United States is a big country. You know, it's not like you can just drive from one side to the to, to the other, right? You know, it's not it's not Israel where you can row at all three rowing clubs within um two hours of each other, you know.
0: <laughs> Exactly. Rich Weaver has a wonderful anecdote here. He said uh, he had a time once on the Alcova Reservoir when the water and the wind came up. And he said, I was terrified with no rescue boat. There was no choice but to row into the wind back to where I'd put the boat in. I learned how to look at weather forecasts after that. A good, a salutary tale. And thank you for that. Now, I. I think we're, we're pretty much done. Are we we done with, with the psychology of training?
1: Yes, I, I think so. You have to try to, <laughs> balance, to balance things out know. as much as possible.
0: You do. I have two little things that I'd love to wrap up with. The first is to say that take the opportunity before your holiday break to go have a massage or what I call a loosener. So I went to see my osteopath friend, Human this week. And I, he said, so why are you here? Are you injured? And I was like, no, I'm not injured. I would just like you to check me over and maybe give me some deep tissue massage and a little bit to straighten up a few bits that probably are going out of alignment. And it was really, really beneficial. He reminded me that I need to rub my IT band with a tennis ball on the floor, quite regularly. But it wasn't that I was ill or injured. It was just a good thing to do because I know now that we actually have our long summer holidays coming up. So I probably won't be getting back to seeing him after his vacation for a while. And I I don't go that regularly. I usually go when I'm injured. So I would recommend that a good um, physiotherapist, a sports masseuse who does deep tissue massage, or my personal favorite, as I will say, is an osteopath because they both do manipulation and massage.
1: Yes, it's excellent maintenance. Think of maintenance, you know, before yeah. you before you get, because I'm also a registered sports massage therapist. So um, I just don't practice very much right now. But, you know, maintenance, on a regular basis is so important and you know you'll feel great afterwards but you know catch those injuries before they happen.
0: Yeah and so by drawing attention to the bits of my musculature that were tight I can obviously hope to prevent injuries by loosening them up and, and working them over regularly. I also have a small announcement with regards to the New Zealand Masters project that I'm on I'm trying to create a national voice for masters and the ability for us to get more out of the sport than we currently do um I think many of you have heard me say this before but a lot of federations don't pay a lot of attention to masters I've been lobbying some of the organizations who run the sport in this country and we have come to an early stage agreement that we are going to run National Coaching Camps. These are actually going to be clinics at which people will be taught how to coach. So you don't have to be a coach because the type of coaching we're going to be teaching is called peer coaching, where you are in the boat working with other people who are your peers, your crewmates. And we're going to be learning how to coach each other constructively, how to diagnose faults and challenges and how to suggest remedies and drills and exercises that can help improve the rowing stroke now we're hoping to roll this out nationwide next year but stay tuned if you want more information join the legion of rowers newsletter their website is lor.kiwi and when you join it just asks you to say whether you were in the north of the South Island. So I'm not expecting overseas people to join. Um, but I'm really, really pleased with the progress that uh, this project is having and the enthusiasm which so many people are showing me that they are really willing to get involved and to help and make some fabulous suggestions, for example, of funding sources we can apply to to run these camps.
1: That's Very cool. And that's a really innovative idea.
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think peer coaching for masters. You see, unlike school kids who need to have a coach with them all the time because of health and safety, masters don't necessarily need that and it's not mandated. But we do have this kind of old school mentality of one coach, one boat, one crew. It's like, well, why? You know, do we need that all the time? How can we coach ourselves? How can we progress? How can we get away from that sort of being the only way? And I discover over and over how few Masters clubs actually have regular coaching. And that it's just like a huge void that's crying out to be filled. And so obviously, I think Faster Masters subscription programs are one way to do this but actually this is a very complimentary way because if you're all on the program together, then you all understand what you're working towards and you can help guide each other. Like, Hey, watch my catches. You know, what, what do you see? All those sorts of good things.
1: That's why I love coxed quads. I think it's the, it's such a, I mean, as a teaching boat, but as a teaching boat is because you can sit in the boat You can sit in the boat and as a coach, you can coach people from inside the boat as well, like in touring boats or things like that. But
0: Yeah, you can. And if you're if it's a regular Cox boat and you can't fit in the seat, we have a wonderful man called (laughs) Michael in our club who built what we call the throne. And it is a regular plank, like a length of wood onto which we've screwed a sculling seat. So not the undercarriage, just the seat top. And then we also put, he put a, a lanyard on so that you can clip it onto the steering <laughs> wires so it doesn't fall off. And so you can sit across the transom, right across the sax boards. So you're even higher up. Which and is better. Then, yeah, exactly. For coaching purposes, it's much better. We were joking that maybe you needed a crown or a, or a tiara, you know. Well, or,
1: or a Santa hat next week. <laughs> That's a nice idea. Yeah.
0: I'm going to put a little note onto the Masters Rowing International Facebook group about where people are traveling to and whether or not they're succeeding in finding a club where they can do a guest outing. I'd just be intrigued to see who's managing it and who's not, obviously recognizing that international restrictions and opportunities vary. Right. Have we come to the end?
1: I think so. Until next week.
0: Thank you to everybody who's been watching live, um, including Tony, who only found us right at the end. Hi, Tony. (laughs) And remember, Faster Masters Rowing Radio is where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident scholar who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete that you want to row with. So from Marlene and me, goodbye. Great. Until next week.